That's a good sound. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that because it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Blusterini in the home game and at Hold'em underscore Steelers on Twitter. Um, and I am lucky enough to be joined by a panel of wizards to come and talk recreational poker strategy like we are every week. Wizards, tell the world a little bit about yourself and where they can reach you. I'm Chris Jones, 5x5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 everywhere. And last but certainly not least is Taylor Moss. Uh, in the Rec Poker home game on Poker Stars, you can find me at GopherboyTJM. Otherwise, on Twitter, I'm at Taylor underscore Moss. He's number five alphabetically, but number one in your hearts. Exactly. Just like, just like every week, we are here talking poker strategy. We are playing in the Rec Poker Play Money daily home game on Poker Stars that John Somsky sets up uh, more than one a day average these days because he's a beast. And just like every week, we're going to pull one discussion post out of the Rec.Poker forums and talk about it here. So uh, today, we're looking at a post by Michael. And the post is called To Fold or Not to Fold Jack-Jack. And as Rob reminded me earlier, just before we jumped on the air, um, there's only three ways to play Jack-Jack preflop, and they're all wrong. And that is exactly correct. And here's the good example of how it's just hard to feel good about how, whatever you're doing with Jack-Jack. So Michael says this one comes out of uh, the home game. And he's just unsure uh, if he felt if he played it correctly in real time. So it's early enough. The blinds are 3570. Hero is in the cutoff with 3480 chips with the jack of clubs, jack of diamonds. So under the gun raises to 210, which is a 3x. And it folds to a player in middle position who calls. We get another caller before the hero. The hero is now facing a pot with uh, nine big blinds plus the uh, blinds and elects to call here. Um, we will talk a little bit about whether this is a squeeze spot or a three bet value spot specifically or if it plays well as a call. Um, but as played, the hero calls. And then directly behind uh, the hero, we get a shove from ShoreZ00, Ben, one of our um, illustrative... <laughs> oh, God, what did I just do there? Illustrative? No, someone help me out. Chris, you're a smart Illustrious. Guy. Illustrious, thank you. Oh, my God. It's getting late here, and the Steelers are playing, but I'm saving the game, no spoilers. Um, so ShoreZ raises, he shoves, folds around to under the gun, who re-raises... It gets back to one of the callers in position who shoves as well. So it gets back to Michael, who has Jack-Jack, is facing three all-ins. And while he has the table covered, it's going to cost about 3,000 of his 3,300 chips to call what would be a four-way all-in. So right off the bat, we can talk about how to play in this spot. Should we call this uh, three-way all-in? And we can talk about whether we should have called or three bet in the first place. Does anyone have any uh, thoughts right off the bat on how they might've played things similarly or differently? I always struggle in these situations because just like Rob was saying, there's no clear, correct answer. Um, one of the commenters in here has obviously been reading along with uh, the game plan, our, our book study uh, group that we were running recently and um, talks about how 
this is the kind of hand that because you're in a stack to pot ratio where you are, um, this would just play sort of uncontroversially as a shove. Uh, how do people feel about that? Personally, I'm always tempted to shove Jack's preflop because you get to add some fold equity. You get to fold out some of those unpaired high cards that might be tempted to come along. Um, in situations like this, you're not going to have the stack depth necessary to be able to profitably set mine with them. So you have to really think about if I am calling, even in position, are there going to be flops where I don't flop a set where I can still take the pot away from a better hand? Um, am I, you know, your options are kind of limited once the, once the stacks uh, get pretty deep, like well, get pretty shallow like that. So the, um, the hero in this case has about 48 big blinds. Um, and then the, under the gun raises to 210 big blinds at that point in time three big blinds or three big blinds 210 chips that would be a big three one, yeah. big blinds thank you um so the you know i don't think it really makes sense at that point i think that's too big of a shove um you're really gonna limit yourself to primarily getting called by hands that beat you um but I think a three bet would make perfect sense there. And given that the first razor had about 1300 chips, that would probably scare them off of doing, trying to do a steal um, unless they actually have a hand that they are willing to go with. So I, that's my first thing. I would tend to three bet playing with fewer players makes Jack's a little bit easier to play. Um, maybe one of the least strong ways to play it. I don't know. Yeah. And to, to like bring us back to square one on this, like we're at a spot, we, we have 50 big blinds to start the hand. Uh, majority of stacks around us appear to be around 50 big blinds, although we do have one that is considerably less. Um, but we get an under the gun open to three X. Then we get a call for middle position another call from someone in middle position and then us, I believe in the cutoff uh, are now stuck with an action on what to do. Um, so I agree with a lot of what John's saying here, like to shove, you know, 50 big blinds over a three big blind open is a little excessive. Uh, you're really kind of just forcing your opponent to play optimally versus you and, you know, fold hands that are worse than you maybe call some of those hands that are flipping uh, and for sure calling the hands uh, that have you beat. Um, but what I do really like here is a three bet in this spot. Um, it puts a lot of pressure. Uh, it, we can get too worried sometimes around that under the gun open because that under the gun open, uh, whenever someone's opening under the gun, that should be essentially the strongest one action someone can take pre-flop is opening under the gun. It should have the tightest range and you should respect it the most. Uh, but what we do have is we have two calls behind that kind of chop off some of the premium hands that they may have. Because uh, if they have hands like aces, kings, queens, they're likely to three bet that open. Uh, you know, everyone plays slightly differently, but let's just assume that that's the case. Well, if that is, we can potentially, you know, get some of those riffraff hands out that do potentially have us beat 
later on in the hand, but don't have us beat right now. They have some sort of equity versus us, uh, but we can get them out of the hand and potentially go heads up. Because when I'm playing jacks, the last thing I want to do is play four ways. Uh, you're fading three over cards. Uh, and the more people you play hands against, the more likely all those over cards are to be covered uh, and making your pair worse. So I'm going to be three betting here 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, 100% of the time early in a tournament. And I don't think we need to go too big. Uh, open was three big blinds. I'm probably targeting a uh, raise size around 10-ish big blinds, given the fact that there's two callers behind. And I'm just going to put some pressure on uh, not just that under the gun open, but also the two callers that were behind. And I think, you know, Taylor is talking, but this is a value squeeze here. And it's okay to have value squeezes in your range when you know you're going to fold to a shove. Not that I'm saying you would necessarily here, but you can make a value raise even with hands that you don't think are the nuts. And you just have to make good poker decisions um, later as people's ranges become more clearly defined. Uh, Taylor, do you have a cutoff in pocket pairs that you might go down to that you would consider to be a value squeeze here? Like is Jack's the bottom or does it go down to nines or eights or something like that? Uh, I'd probably do it with tens and then nines uh, starts to be where I would kind of put that cutoff. Uh, for sure with eights, I'm not making a value squeeze in that spot. Uh, if the opens and calls were in later position, maybe, you know, then nines goes into the range and then eights kind of becomes the questionable part. Uh, but we do want to keep, you know, the strong part of value in our range here. And I think Jack, it's, Jacks are, you know, close to that edge, uh, but probably should be in that range. And there's some good comments here in the uh, forum post as well from some of the different members. Uh, John Lutze uh, gets in a good point here that we'll, we'll get up to in a point. Um, TV Stensby uh, has a good point about uh, how the as played when it gets around to you, how tight some of those ranges might be. Um, and I do want to draw attention to William, who has definitely the best looking avatar out of anybody in the rec poker uh, forums that something about that black and gold. It's just hard to go wrong with boy. That's that does look good. William, that's very well done, sir. Um, so I, I'm with you, Taylor. I like, I think it plays better, not only because Jax is a powerful hand that benefits from playing heads up, but also because squeeze spots are good spots to be your take. And so, you know, part of what your goal should be as a poker player is to is like expand the number of hands that you're three betting in a squeeze spot like this, even if, you know, you might not have the best hand. Um, it's a good spot for a reason. It's kind of a cliche for a reason. So um, jacks are a good one to have in that range, I think. Um, we could talk about what happens after it's called and it goes around. Um, does anybody else want to talk about that three betting opportunity or that squeeze spot there, Chris? I, I agree with uh, what everyone said. I mean, I think this is a spot where we, where we want a three bet. And uh, unless we want to confuse, because I was in this hand, Unless you want to confuse the person who's sitting next to you, because um, I put, I did not put Michael on this strong of a range. We can talk about how this hand played out, but I think it's an interesting um, hand. Uh, uh, sort of after he flatted, um, the the shove from the button um, came from a player who was pretty short stacked, and I think if I remember this hand correctly, had just kind of. I, I always look for someone who just kind of exited the previous hand under unfortunate circumstances 
and uh, that would be uh, what happened to Mr. Shorty. Oh no! <laughs> so I, I I was reading this as a little bit of a frustrated uh, shove, and then the under the gun player um, took a really like I I don't often take a ton of, into timing tells, but this felt like. I was not reading this as somebody who was like, uh, it seemed really like a really tough call for them. Um, And uh, they did end up shoving, but I read that as I read both of them as fairly weak. Um, And uh, because of that, I ended up calling uh, all in and um, really uh, threaded, threaded, a pretty magical needle here because uh, then uh, Michael, which we'll talk about, folded his jacks, which I think is an interesting question. What we do at jacks when we have these three callers, and I think that's up for discussion. But uh, I can tell you about the results after we have that conversation. But uh, that was a good fold for me. <laughs> Let's just say. So you were uh, you were to Michael's right. You were that yes. middle play, middle position yep. player. So you called yep. the original open. And then when it got multi shoved back to you, you uh, you released the hand. Did you know you? Uh, no, I I called the both yes. of the all ins. No, oh, it would have been a good fold. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, he did fold. He did fold. Yeah. Yeah, he did fold, which was a good fold for me. I see. I see. I see. His fold was good for you. Yeah. So, so let's let's put ourselves in Michael's spots here. So, we had this spot where it got raise call call. We elected not to three bet, so we called. And then I, I think, you know, from Michael's perspective, when it goes shove, 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 call, or whatever it is, I mean, you must be thinking, ah, that's why I didn't three bet, because at least one of these guys has, you know, Queens Plus, and I'm so smart because I didn't waste those extra chips on this particular hand, you know, and, and it is easy to put him in the muck. Um, I think he's also, at this point, only committed 210 chips. Uh, which is a strong consideration when you're thinking about, yes, there's 8,000 in the middle, but, you know, how often am I drawing to a two-outer to get it? Um, does anyone have, is, is a jump out at any of you that this is a spot, just an auto-call or auto-muck with uh, Jack? Oh, I think, I think uh, folding is accurate. Uh, three ways, you know, a multi-way pot. Is it four ways? It he would be the fourth. He would be the fourth, yeah. yeah. Four ways with a pocket pair like that. Um, even if even if you have the highest pocket pair around, I mean, I'd rather go to battle with a hand like Jack Ten or Queen Jack suited that type. You know, something mm. that works better in a multi-way pot. And I think I'd pull those two with four people in the pot. I mean, it just it's just too much. The opportunity, like Taylor mentioned, the three bet free flop is where. He would have eliminated all of that, uh, all of that action that happened after the fact would have never happened if he had a three bet. Mm-hmm. You know, there would have been a lot. It would have been totally a different um, scenario. One of the things that Chris said, though, he said that the person under the gun took a lot of time to make a decision before he jammed. And that's funny because when I've seen that happen in the home, especially in the home game it usually means the person's very strong and is trying to make it look like he has a tough decision. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a, there's sort of like, there's sort of a, a really, I think there's a real nuance to that, right? Like what I feel yeah. like when people take 
the full allotment of their time, that's some real strength. But when they take like a lot of time and then like just kind of like there's a few seconds into their extra time, but then they call it's like there's this there's this like in between time where they I put that as like this is not faking, this is tough decision time. And that that's at least how I read those, at least. Okay. I, I'm writing that down, Chris. I'm gonna try and balance <laughs> balance the amount of my time. <laughs> like, like, like it's pretty obvious if you take your full, you know, whatever down to five seconds. Okay, you got, you know, but like if you just like if you take your full time plus a little extra time, I read that as like you actually had something to think about here. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about this a lot at our tells seminar, but yeah. a long time to think is, from my perspective, a very polarized range. Yeah, yeah. You're you're either doing it because you're really not sure, or you're doing it because you're trying to make it look like you're really not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you're playing online you're just distracted by the television or the mm. cat jumps in your lap or whatever sure. so you you do have to be a little careful about timing tells they're the best you've got playing online but they're also unreliable in, in that people can be distracted and you're not able to tell when they're distracted versus when they're just actually thinking and there is software out there that people can use that will automatically choose a random amount of time for their action, like a table ninja type uh, thing that's meant for multi-tablers so that you can't build that kind of uh, tell. But, uh, you know, most of the players that we're playing against in the rec poker home games aren't going to be randomizing uh, to that level. So I think you can, you can, you can use something from the, from the timing tells. Um, So TV, uh, TV Stensby here, uh, one of our international members uh, makes a good point about how he would fold jacks here. And again, we go through this in the audio and we, we, there is some video here, but you really have to go to rec.poker and look at the forum post itself to actually see there's some great breakdowns in here. And I'm not going to be able to do justice to uh, Tron Vidar's uh, point here. But um, one of the things he says is that basically, um, even though the pod odds seem good, the actual EV will be controlled by your tightest opponent, which is a good point to take on this. And I think... Um, part of it's just because those tightest ranges are going to own most of the equity in that, even multi-way. Those are the hands you have to worry about. And with a hand like Jack-Jack, um, sort of like what Chris was getting at earlier, if you're able to kind of cap the range on a couple of those players or to at least make it wide enough that they have a lot of hands that you wouldn't necessarily have in a nutted range, it's a very different EV calculation than if they're playing just typically you know, Queens plus and ace king. Yeah, you're ahead of the ace king there, but you're not doing great about, against that entire range. So um, it kind of doesn't really matter what the other people in the hand have. If you can say I'm one of them that, that has a good chunk of my stack, uh, almost certainly has aces or kings or something like that. I'm not sure if that it was the case here, um, but that's something from Tron Vidar that I want to draw attention to. Yeah, and I mean, to take the hand out of question just the way the action played out in this spot uh we get an open there's two calls in front of us and we call uh and then it's followed by shove shove call for all in then it's back on us uh generally speaking uh when that happens unless when we were calling that first time around specifically as a trap Hmm. uh you can almost say 99 percent of the time unless you were calling to trap uh, you should be folding in that spot. 
Uh, so if, if we didn't feel confident enough to three bet jacks for whatever reason, uh, whether we didn't think it was going to be a good value uh, three bet for us, or we thought someone had a tight range, uh, it's, it's like we forget about that thought that went into our head that ultimately led us to the call. And then when it comes back around to us, we, we get rid of that thought and we go, oh, well, I have jacks. Maybe, maybe I should call here. Um, so there, there was something that went on that said, hey, maybe I should call this preflop. And then it gets back around to us. And then we're thinking, well, maybe I should call all in now. Uh, so it's kind of counter, counter ideas kind of conflicting with each other here. Um, and I don't think we're calling with jacks to trap in this spot. Um, and I don't, like I said, you know, 10 minutes ago or whatever, I don't really like playing jacks four ways. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a good discipline fold. I think it's, it's unfortunate to have to make this fold, but it's a fold we should be making. Well, let's hear a quick uh, word from Jonathan Little and maybe a couple of the guys can play some X's and O's or something. And then we'll uh, wrap this up with some further thoughts. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. That's Jonathan Little, one of the big names in poker. Speaking of big names in poker, uh, Steve Fredlin's not on the podcast tonight, uh, but he loves poker and he loves hoping, helping small business owners with their small businesses. So if you or if someone you know is a small business owner, head over to smallsmallbusiness.com and find another way for Steve Fredlin to work with you. So Taylor, I really like this idea that you're saying when, when you make a decision at this point in a hand, you have to be thinking ahead to what are going to be the other opportunities available to me in the future and how am I going to be consistent with this decision? And I think people make this mistake all the time where they look down at a decision point in the hand and they think, okay, here's my hand. Here's the action in front of me. Now I need to make a decision. And they're not factoring in the decisions that have happened already, the actions that have taken place on earlier streets or earlier on this street that have allowed them to narrow the range of opponents or to, for opponents to make assumptions uh, about them. Are there... Can you just speak a little bit more about how, how, and Rob, I know you want to jump in here too, about, about sort of the importance of planning that out more than one decision at a time? Yeah. And I, the way I view it, and Chris is going to really like this analogy because I've heard him say this before, but like a hand of poker is like a story, right? There's, there's everything that happens that leads up to it. You don't get halfway through a story and just forget the, the intro to the story or what happened in the first three chapters. Uh, you know, it's all a buildup. You got to take in all that information. You, you have to watch it play out and then use that. So to, to get to the middle part of the story and say, Hey, you know, here, this is going on. What should our hero do? Um, isn't the right way of looking at it. Read what's happened up until that point. What has been the action? Uh, what have people been doing? What strength or non-strength has their actions shown us up until this? and make a decision based off of that. And I, I think it feels to me like it's like two disjointed uh, thoughts that we had here. Um, although like we got to the, the right point ultimately with the fold, but to like 
get, I get the concern around it, but like at this point, once that action happens, it's, it's a pretty easy fold, I think in this exact spot. And I think another thing you want to look at um, when you're getting involved in a hand is who's left to act and what is their chip stack? Um, obviously the guy on the button had a very short stack was very likely to be jamming um, by you calling you gave him all the incentive that uh, he needed to do that. Had you three bet, he might not have done that. He might have said, well, I'm up against some strength here. I'm going to get out of the hand. So you need to anticipate what your actions are going to potentially have your opponents reacting to, right? How are they going to react to that? So when you're getting involved in a hand, you need to understand what are the stack sizes of the players yet to act and try to understand how they could potentially um, respond to what you're going to do. Instead, you know, you just, you know, basically you made a call, hoping to set mine with your jacks and to see what happens on the flop, right? Maybe I'll flop, maybe I'll flop a set. You know, that's basically what happened in this hand um, for him to just make that call. So. Yeah. And ultimately, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Oh, just ultimately, uh, you know, I think this becomes, uh, you know, we can talk about the results, but I think this becomes a forum post because of the results, because because uh, Michael gets to see the three hands that turn over, and th- I'll tell you, they're a little surprising. Um, and Jacks were, you know, well ahead of, of all three hands. Um, but I think uh, we can't just look at this and say, did I make the right play? Because if I would have called this, you know, I would have probably won this hand. Well, I actually would have won this hand. And I think ultimately, though, what the lesson really is that this was a good discipline fold. In most situations, when we make this fold, we're making the right uh, fold. And sometimes we're going to fold jacks and everyone's going to turn over worse hands and we're going to kind of grit our teeth and we're going to move on. But ultimately, we're going to still know that we made the right decision. And I think that's that's what happened here. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that you don't have to be right every time and that's a foolish goal to set for yourself. Now, you just have to be right more often than you're not. You have to take the action that's going to be right in the long term, profitable in the long term. Um, and that involves folding with the best hand sometimes, and it involves calling with the worst hand sometimes. And you know, um, that is part of poker. That's what we love about it. That makes it. That's what makes it great. So don't worry about being perfect, and don't worry about if they have aces. You know, think about the range of hands they could have the actions that they'll take with that range of hands. And, you know, it, like we said at the top, it's okay to make a, uh, a three bet and fold too. If you feel like, I'm not sure if this is the spot for that, but you know, you, it, it, there's nothing wrong with having that room in your range. All right. Well, any final thoughts on, on this post before we uh, send it back to the rec doc poker discussion forums? Um, I thought there was some really good stuff in here, particularly from um, Michael, William, uh, TV Stensby and of course uh, Five by Five John Lutzi and um, some other good members in there. And uh, just a reminder: you can go to Rec Poker for free and get a free membership account to come and join the forums. Uh, post your own hand histories there, and if we like it, maybe we'll even mention it here on the air. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Thank you, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, Chris Jones, and John Somsky. We'll see you next week.